final week. And thank you to everybody who's been a part of this. Thank you to those who've committed and you've stuck it out with the small groups and you've been there faithfully and you've, you've journeyed this, this, um, this path with us. And um, if you've got your books with you, um, you can open onto page 14. There's a blank page for notes. So if you haven't got a book, don't worry. It's literally just a blank page for people to make notes. The parts with the filling in words, that's for the midweek meeting on page 15. So, so far we've covered the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of mercy, service, encouragement, teaching, and then last week was giving. And this week we have our, our final one. So out of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8 is where we, we are speaking about these gifts. And, and this week it reads, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And sometimes that's why these particular Romans gifts are called grace gifts, the ones that Paul mentions here. Um, he also mentions gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and um, in Peter. So, but it, we've all got different gifts, and I think that's the beauty of this thing, is that you know, we don't have to be like everyone else. We don't have to, even if you've, if you've got the gift of teaching, and Dave's got the gift of teaching, we, we saw that quite clearly, but it doesn't have to look the same in how it operates, because it's the grace that God's given you to function in that gift. And so Paul says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. And he goes on, if your gift is this, if it is that, and, and this morning it's, if your gift is to lead, then do it diligently. If your gift is to lead, do it diligently. And I love this because in, in each of these gifts, what Paul says in every time, he says, if your gift is this, then do it. Use it. Go and be, if it is giving, then go and give generously. If your gift is encouraging, then go and encourage it's not like, well, if your gift is leading, then you're amazing and you're the first and you should be held up. It's no, no, you've got to go and use that gift that you've got. That's why God gives you a gift. It's so that you can give it away. You almost, you're like a go-between with the present. You get given this gift to go and give the gift to someone else. And it's a beautiful thing. Out of interest, who have you had um, this week's one leading in your top three? Anybody have it on the assessment that you did? Okay, so a few people had it. Awesome. But... What is, what is beautiful is, is no matter where this gift is on your, and, and don't think like, yeah, I got it like number seven, like I'm not a leader. Because there's, there are, there, there's folks here who've got it like real low on their assessment thing. But if you look at their life, if you look at how they function, there are people following them. And there are people that will ask them to lead in situations because they recognize in them a gift of leadership. And so just because it's not in the top three in your, in your gift assessment, don't think, oh, well, God's not made me a leader. That's not true because you've still got the gift of leadership. It's still there. Did anybody not have it in their assessment? Did it not, anybody show up? Sorry, you've only got six. You didn't get all set. No one. No one. So you've got it. Each of us have an, a potential to lead. So rushing right through, what is this gift? What is the gift of leading? Very interesting. Uh, that Paul doesn't mention leadership first in his gift mixing. And it might just be semantics, it might just be how he thought through the things. But it's interesting, you know, if we take Scripture as inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't, and I think it was intentionally not first, because we place such a massive emphasis on leading, and we see leading as such a, and it is, it is an important thing, but we often make it the only thing, and it's not. Just as a, a side note. And Paul, also in this thing, he says, he tells us not only that we must exercise it, but how we are to exercise it. We are to exercise it diligently. 
So I went up and I had a look, like, what does it mean to be, like, you kind of understand, like, what is diligent, but it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a hard word to understand. It's like, it's, got, it's a deep word. But this is a definition that Steve, Steve Wimble gave, and it's, it's a pretty good one of what it is to, to lead. So, so to lead, or the gift of leadership is motivating others to work together to achieve a common purpose or goal harmoniously. So motivating others to work together to achieve a common purpose or goal harmoniously. And that's an important word at the end there, the harmoniously. But we're going to look at four of those words out of there. So the first one is motivating. So motivating. How do we motivate people to do something? And there's, be, you know, you get motivational speakers and there's books on extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And there are various kinds of motivation and some of them are, are less healthy than others. You know, the, the Gestapo were pretty good at motivating people to action, but it wasn't really healthy, was it? You can get somebody to do something by pointing a gun, putting a gun to their head and saying, hey, you need to do this. But that's real unhealthy motivation. It's not going to benefit that person or us. It's not the gift of leadership operating in a healthy way. The gift of leadership, when it when it motivates others, and the way that it motivates others is that it helps other people see what is possible. And that becomes the motivation. That's how the, the gift of leadership properly used in motivating others functions. Is that it goes, hey, can you see what will happen if we live like this? You see, we want to, putting the law on people and just putting boundaries in people's lives is an easy way to control their behavior. And you can do that for a certain while and don't sin and this is wrong and that's wrong and but if you go, hey, look at, look at your life. Look at how your life is going to be if you choose to follow Jesus and repent of that sin and live this way. If you choose to live a life that honors and loves God, can you see how free you will live? Can you see how well it'll go in your family? Can you see how things will... And so that is the right way that the gift of leading motivates people, is it helps people to see. It opens their mind and to understand what is coming. It doesn't try and force things on people. It helps them to see. It tries to unlock. It's a very opposite way of motivating. The second thing that leading does, or that we see in that definition of, of leading, is that it involves others. I have my own personal things where people say, oh, everybody's a leader even if you only lead yourself. I disagree. That's just called living. That's just being alive. If you lead yourself, that's just being alive. That's just the... like. If you, if you lead, there has to be someone you are leading. For me, by definition, you have to be leading someone, at least one. So, so leading involves other people. It involves interacting with others, and it involves taking other people from one place to another. Godly leadership is helping others. It is other-focused. It is not me-focused. See, very often as leaders, we can become a little bit narcissistic in things and trying to, because God gives us vision or whatever, we might have something that we want to get accomplished and it becomes a little bit about us and we tend to want to use others. But godly leadership motivates others in their own way. It motivates them to change and to be better. And so it's not so much about position that I'm selected for, but rather about the potential that I can unlock in others. The third thing we see is together. When we use the gift well, uh, you know, when, you, when you're motivating others to work together, that is one of the hardest things to do, is to get other people to work together. Because it's easy to get so-and-so to do this, and so-and-so to do that, and him to do that. But to get us to do it all together, 
Man, people, I don't know if you've ever tried to lead people in, a, in like a group to do things together. If you've got kids, if you've got more than one kid, you try and get them to do something together. Like, guys, let's set the table for dinner together. Yeah, who are going to choose who sits where? Is a fight. Which placemats are you going to use? Who's putting the cutlery? It's a fight. Just in those things. But we've got to, you see, leadership in the gift of leadership rightly used brings people together. It doesn't isolate and separate people into silos that operate differently. It brings people together to achieve common tasks and goals. We've said it before in, in previous series, and I think we had it as a, as a sermon title, but we are better together. We are better together. Modern society, modern Western society has lived, and we live in a place where we end up with hyper-individualism, where I don't even need to go to the shops to get my groceries. I can now have fast food delivered to my door. I don't even have to go to a drive-thru anymore. And it is, we've become hyper-individualistic in the way we live, and we think, me, myself, and Irene, we are fine. And I'm going to be okay, and there's nothing that I need from anybody else because I can either find it online or I will just be okay. And it's not. And we, we know that it's not because God says that it's not. And he says, you are better together. And so that's what leading does, is, is it, it brings us into a place where we are engaged with others in a healthy way. So many of you are leaders in, your, in, your, in business or in the workplace or in what you do. You lead other people um, or you, you have influence on other people, but I'll get to that now. And this is an opportunity where, where you, get, you get to move people that you lead or that you have a chance to speak into their lives. You get to move them from an I to a we mentality. And if that's what you get out of this, and, and as you lead people, I mean, whether it be the staff in your business, if you've got two staff, to move them from a, oh, that's not my job mentality, to a, hey, we're all, we've all got a part to play in this thing. And if you don't suck it up and, and do what needs to be done, and sometimes do what's not in your job description, the whole thing is going to come crashing down, and we're all going to, and that's part of leading, is helping people see that it's not just about the I, it's about the we. So, leading is motivating others together, finally, harmoniously. And harmoniously is very important because, you know, we can sometimes get people to operate together, but the gears are grinding. You know, when you learn to drive and you forget to push the clutch in and that car makes that wonderful sound, that grinding, and that's sometimes how it is. And you feel, and that's not operating harmoniously. When we operate harmoniously, things work well. Eugene Peterson puts it like this in the message from Proverbs 28, chapter 12. He says, when good people are promoted, everything is great. But when the bad are in charge, watch out. <laughs> it's a good interpretation of that, of that verse, what, he, what, um, what the, the writer of Proverbs, probably Solomon, writes. And he says, you know, it's clear, when the bad are in charge, watch out. So they have leadership positions and they can get things done, but man, it is not harmonious. It is not harmonious. If you've ever played in a band and they're not following the drummer properly, things are not harmonious. And then everything falls apart and the band just, all the other novelty acts don't know what they're doing and then they, they just, they can't keep up. And they just, they struggle to follow. And it's just, you, you can hear it. Like you, so you can hear it when the band's not doing that, when they're not following the drummer. You can just hear, like things are like, yo, what's going on? Like guys, just stop, guys, stop. Just let the drummer start and then we all fall in. And that's what it is to be harmonious. <laughs> you and me, Carl. I got you, brother. Perhaps the, the best 
um, the best synonym for the word leadership is influence. And John Maxwell said leadership is influence. It's, it's, you know, if, you've, if you've read any books on leadership, a lot of people quote him in church and out of church in, in business. And, and it's a bit of a simple definition, and, and it's, but it's, it is quite powerful. Um, leadership is influence. Ultimately, what you have is, you know, I think for many people, you know, leading is, is standing up and getting up in front of people and, you know, leading large groups and getting these people to achieve incredible things. But, but ultimately, leadership is simply influence. You know, the, if, if we use that lens, then every single one of us can engage in the act of leadership because we all have the ability to influence someone else. And that might not be, you know, if we, if we talk about people that are in our lives permanently in terms of employees or colleagues or kids, um, those are people that we can lead on a long-term basis and people that we can have a measurable influence on over a long term. But we have the ability to influence somebody else's life who we just have momentary contact with as well. And so even in your day-to-day life, you're able to influence somebody else's life. You're able to lead that person whether it just be in a moment, whether it be in a, in a line at the, at the shopping till, you're able to lead the person, the cashier. You're able to influence the person packing your, your groceries in a bag. And how you do that is, is going to be up to you, and how you in, engage in that is going to be how you feel God leads you, and, and honestly, how he pairs your gifts together. Because... The gift of leadership is also not going to look the same in everybody. One of the best, uh, and you know, in, new, in NCMI ch- churches, if you've been in NCMI church, you would have heard a lot about leadership over the years. A very strong thing that was preached and taught. There was, I mean, the, when the churches would come together, the NCMI in the early days, it was LTTs. It was leadership training times. Um, so there was a heavy emphasis on that. But you know, for many of us who have an interest in this, you might have read many, many books on it. And one of the best books I've ever read on leadership is in the driving seat um, by Brunt Pretorius, who led the McCarthy group and, the, and he was uh, the Toyota McCarthy group for many, many years. And what was so brilliant about it for me in that book is that he is not a type A, get up, you know, rah, 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 kick him in the knee kind of leader. He is a very understated, almost introverted leader. And he said it took him a while to, as he was growing in business, and I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant strategist and he's got a fantastic business mind, but he's an incredible leader. But it took him a while to become secure in who he was as a leader to be able to lead out of that place, to not be the shout at everybody, get things done kind of boss of the, you know, the 70s and 80s where the boss was, had all authority and what he said went. Some of us hark back to those days and we're like, yes, if only we could just be easier. But he wasn't that kind of leader. He was, in his own words, he was more like his mom, who led very quietly and very subtly, but very strongly. And so that is how he chose to lead. And I mean, he ended up leading one of the biggest corporations in the country and and turning it around from almost failure to a, a raging success. But what it was is that he realized that the gift of leadership that he had was paired with other gifts that he had. And so... The gift of leadership in us, the way that it's going to look and how it's going to play out is going to depend on the other gifts that it's prepared with, that it's, that it's paired with. So let's say you've got the gift of leadership and mercy. That's going to look very different from someone who's got a gift of leadership and pro- the prophecy or the prophetic. 
that's going to look very different from someone who's got a gift of leadership and encouragement. Andy Lund, gift of leadership, gift of encouragement. He hasn't done the assessment, but I guarantee you, those are the top, those are the top two in his three. If you've ever experienced Andy Lund, that's it. And what it does, what the gift of leadership does, for, if any of you know Rory Dyer, so it leads a church in Pretoria, I've mentioned him a couple of times, but he is an amazing pastor. But what makes him incredible is that he's got a massive gift of leadership. And it almost puts like a little exponential number on his, it's like to the nth degree on his pastoral gift. So it expands that gift. It gives that gift massive influence. So I think that's mainly how this gift of leadership operates through us, is it empowers and um, exponentially, what's the right word I'm looking for? Not focus, but like highlights and um, heightens the other gifts that we have. It makes them more evident. So the gift of leadership, if you're wondering how it's going to play out in your life, look at the other gifts and see how it pairs with those. We need to, in our experience of the gift of holyship, I touched on it, uh, of leadership, is we need to, holyship, have you got a gift of holyship? Just me, okay. We've got to let the, we've got to let the holiest reading words while I'm talking, my brain is struggling, so multitasking. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit in this as well to, to dismantle some of the unhealthy pictures of leadership that we have. You know, we have this picture of the alpha male who is the leader of the pack and has all the answers and is right all the time. And we think, man, that's the ideal leader. That's the one that we're going to follow. But you see, leadership is not about control or hierarchy. It's not about manipulation. It's not about pushing others down. It's, it's not about achieving every single goal that needs to be done regardless of the cost on people. Biblical leadership is pretty much the exact opposite of those things. So, who are we going to learn from in this? And the obvious answer is Jesus. Yes, you've got it. Jesus is the only perfect leader we have ever seen. So let's learn from him. Four things we see from Jesus, just quickly. There's many more, but just narrow down to four. The first thing with Jesus in his leading, he was courageous. Jesus was very courageous. He was never afraid to do the right thing in a difficult circumstance. Whether that meant saying to a woman who was condemned and brought before him caught in sin, he says, what if, do they not condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Who is without sin? He stood up. He was never afraid to stand up to the religious and societal leaders of his day. He was never afraid to stand up for what was right and what was true, not just what was expedient and what was comfortable to do in society. Leaders should be courageous. Secondly, Jesus was humble yet strong. Very often we mistake kindness for weakness. But Jesus was humble but strong. He didn't push his own agenda. He never ever tried to um, manipulate people to do anything. He never fought to be first. He didn't try and be the top of everything. He didn't try and be recognized in every moment. He didn't start Jesus's healing ministries. He didn't, you know what I mean? He didn't come in. It would have been the right thing to do. I mean, you know, just think about the food. He could have, McDonald's would never have happened if Jesus had like started a provisions minute or something. He was humble but strong. And he wasn't interested in being recognized or rewarded. He was secure in who he was as God's son and in what God had called him to do. He was obedient in what God had called him to do, and that was enough for him. Third thing is that Jesus served his followers. 
Yeah, we love the topic of servant leadership in the church until we start to get treated like servants. We love the thinking, like, yes, we're going to serve the people that we lead and until we start getting treated like servants. But what Jesus did is he didn't wait for that. Is He took on the job of the lowliest servant. So we don't get it in our society. We, you know, it's a bit away from us. But when Jesus put the towel around him and washed his disciples' feet, that was the job not just for any servant in the home. That was the job for like the lowest servant whose name you didn't know, who was essentially just a possession in your home. And you just, like that oak, he's bottom of the rung, of the bottom rung. And that's what Jesus did. Is he came and he served and he washed people's, his disciples' feet. And as Mark, Mark mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he washed the feet of someone who was going to betray him. And he washed the feet of someone who he knew was going to betray him. That is servant leadership on a next level. I don't know if I've got that in me to do that. I like to think I would, but I'm also like, yeah, I've got to choose wisdom here. Let's kick that oak out. He's going to, like everybody but you, Judas, your feet can stay dirty. It's fine. But this is, this is the beauty of the heart of Jesus is in that moment, he still goes and he's still reaching out to Judas and he's still serving Judas in those moments. And the fourth thing we see is that he sacrificed. Jesus sacrificed. To be a leader, to lead biblically is going to require that we sacrifice. It's going to require that we give up. It's going to require that we let go of some of the things that we think we have rights to. It might mean our time. It might mean our money. It might mean our talents, whatever we have. We give up and we sacrifice for those we lead. Because we know that it's not about us. We're not leading for us to gain. Jesus puts this as an encouragement in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for my souls, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is such a beautiful encouragement because what you just said in those first four points of learning from Jesus can seem incredibly tough. You're like, Man, I'm thank God it's number seven on my list and I don't have to lead like Jesus. But we're all called to live like that. We're all called to live like that in each one of our moments. To be courageous, to be humble, to be servants and to sacrifice. But Jesus says, when you take my yoke upon you, when we lead like that, when we behave like Jesus, when we put that yoke of Jesus on us and walk with Jesus in those things, he says, we will find rest for our souls. And I can attest to the fact that when you walk in those things, when you walk in the faithfulness and the, and the leading of Jesus, that that is what comes. It seems counterintuitive because you think, man, if I'm the first, if I'm the most important and everyone's serving me, then I'm going to get real rest because then I don't have to do anything. I'm going to get other people to do stuff. And, but there isn't. Strangely enough, it's not there. When we behave like Jesus tells us to behave and we do what he says to do, we find rest for our souls. It's an incredible truth. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Third thing. So we've got, what is the gift? Jesus is the perfect leader. And thirdly, leadership is critically important. So lead. You know, if we look in the Old Testament, if you go through um, the history books in the Old Testament, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and you read through there and you read the stories of the kings of Israel, and you kind of see, well, we've got like 
We start off with Saul, and he was, he was good for a while, and then he went a bit, things went a bit pear-shaped, and he was trying to kill David, and it wasn't so lacquer. And then we see David, and he's incredible. Like, he's this amazing picture of a brilliant leader, and he unites the two kingdoms that were divided. And then we see Solomon and Israel's flourishing, and Solomon goes a bit pear-shaped with women, and it doesn't work so well, and 300 wives and 700 porcupines, concubines, and it's just things go bad for Solomon at, at the end. And, you know, you look at his family and the, the kids that come after that, and there's a hey, good king, bad king, bad king, worst king, like the nations then fall apart, and people are a good king, bad king, and you're just like, yes, this is, Lord, what's going? And you see the, the destruction and the devastation that happens to the people. How do you go from like one of the most prosperous, wisest nations to within a few generations, absolutely broken and destroyed? And it's leadership. It's poor leadership. It's selfish, not selfless leadership. It's leadership that wants to be served as opposed to leadership that wants to serve. Leadership is critically important, so lead. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever stepped up to lead something. Anybody ever stepped up to lead and felt like, yes, this is what I'm going to do, and you've been put in a position of leadership, and within a very short space of time, you suddenly realize, man, this is not quite what I signed up for. Like, this is way harder than I expected. <laughs> I remember when we came on to church leadership the first time, we were invited onto eldership, and we, we went to our first elders meeting, and we sat around, and it was like, I mean, we had snacks, and we, we prayed, and we talked about stuff, and we worked at things, but afterwards, I had to go home for a nap. I was like, yo, I'm buggered. And I was young and fit, and, you know, but I was just tired. I was just, it was way more weighty than what I had expected. Spiritually, it was just heavy. And it was, I mean, it wasn't like we dealt with major, you know, discipline issues or theological issues. It was just, but it was just, it carried a lot more weight than what I had expected and what I had seen coming. And for us, when we lead, sometimes it can feel like that. You know, and, and if you've led a business through the last few years, and if you've, particularly if you've led a business in tourism in this area in the last few years, you'll know and it's incredibly tough. And you might have at times felt like, man, this is not what I signed up for. This is, it's exhausting. I don't know how I'm going to keep my staff employed. I don't know how I'm going to keep things afloat. I don't know how I'm going to keep my house. And it's been incredibly tough over the last few years to lead. And we are seeing more and more people who are just copping out of leading. Gifted leaders. People whom God's called to lead. And they're like, it's just too hard. I don't know how to do it. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. At times over the last few years, in leading, I felt just both exhilarated and exhausted. There's been incredible moments of high and incredibly difficult moments. There are many, many emotions that we can go through in the roller coaster of leading. And maybe you've, in your leading, you've felt the the pressure and the responsibility to lead in a completely different environment more than you ever have, and you feel like you don't have what it takes. And honestly, that's a question that all of us need to answer over and over again. Have I got what it takes? And I felt this morning that, that God wants to answer that question. John Eldridge, in his book, Wild at Heart, he says that that is one of the most important questions that a father can answer for his children, is to say, you have what it takes. And I felt this morning that God is going to answer that for some of us. You're asking that question, do I have what it takes to do this next thing, to take the next step? 
Run to the Father and allow Him to speak that identity to you and to say, yes, my daughter, my son, you have what it takes because you have me. Whenever I've, you know, whenever we've connected and felt that, that doubt, you go running to the Father, you connect with Him in prayer, there is always that encouragement that I've got you. You're doing a good job. There's an encouragement that comes in that. And I want to put it to us this morning that what the world needs now is not more people who can diagnose the problems. Those are good, and we need to know what the problems are. The world, there's plenty, plenty enough critical people, critical hearts is what we're talking about. It's good to have a critical mind that can see things and understand things and figure things out, but don't let it go below your throat. Spit it out if it starts to come down. Don't let it become a critical heart. Because the world doesn't need more critics and cynics. It needs more people who are going to lead from a place of being connected to the Father of life. It needs people who are winning, willing to sacrifice, men and women who are willing and committed to using their God-given gifts, however possible, to lift others up and to help them see the potential that they have so that they can live in the fullness of what God has for them. What we need more of is people of bigger faith, people who are prepared to step out and lead in the faith that they have, who aren't afraid of big challenges because they know that they've got an even bigger God who is walking with them. We need the prophetic people, the gifts of the prophets who are prepared to speak fearlessly. We need um, teachers who are willing to share and teach knowledge humbly. We need servers who are going to serve selflessly. We need mercy bringers who are going to do so compassionately. We need encouragers who are going to strengthen others inspirationally. We need givers who are going to give generously. And we need leaders who are going to influence others and lead diligently. And in case you missed it, that's all seven gifts that we've had over the past six weeks. All of us are servants of the King. Let us do it passionately with the gifts that He's put in us. We are reaching the end of the series, but hopefully this is only the beginning of our impact on the world. And I want to, my prayer is that out of this series, that you wouldn't just have a nice devotional book for like the six weeks and like write some nice things and draw pictures while I'm talking, but it's that you would actually find stuff that is awakened in you and, and, and allow God to uncover and empower things that He's put in you so that you can go and change the world, so that you can go and influence those around you with the love of Jesus. Because when we do that, when we live in that way, then we get to starting, filling of the, the, starting to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us when he left. Because that is ultimately what this is about. Is it's not just about us being empowered and me, myself, because if, you see, if it's like that, then you're at the center and you've missed it. The point of this and the reason why God has given us this is so that we can lead people to Jesus to bring glory to the Father. That is what this is about, friends. We had a very difficult moment yesterday, and, and I mean we, I mean we as a community, not, not me, but we as a community had a difficult moment yesterday in a memorial service for someone who took his own life. And I don't know, you know, I can't say that Jesus would have saved everything and sorted everything out in that man's life, but man, I tell you, when, when you get to that place where it's dark and there's no hope, you need Jesus. And so whatever God has put in you, Use that to bring Jesus to other people. I don't know how you live and you would survive in these last three or four years without Jesus. It would have been ridiculous. 
to try and do it without him. And I can understand why people are at the end of their tether and why they don't want to go on anymore. I get it. But God. And so that's what we need to do, friends. It is, it is desperate. There isn't a moment to waste. There isn't time to lose in this thing because people are dying without God all the time. And I don't know whether that man was saved or not. And I'm not saying he wasn't. It's, we've got to allow for the grace of God in people's lives and we never know what the Father does. But we have to, friends, make sure that we understand the gravity of the situation that we're in and love on people as best we can with who God's made us to be and the gifts he's put in us so that we can lead them to Jesus. Father, I pray that you help us. I pray that you help us each and every day to live into the fullness of who you've made us to be. God, we don't want to just float around and, and come to the end of our days having done nice things and having lived a comfortable life. God, we want to see people coming to the freedom of salvation in you, God. We want to see hearts and minds set free from oppression, Lord. We want to see hearts and minds set free from worry and anxiety, from just depression, Lord God. We want to see people set free from selfishness, Lord God. Set free from sin in their lives, Father. Lord, we long to see your gifts operate so that people can see the beauty of who the gift giver is. Help us, Jesus, to be those who live fearlessly, boldly, and courageously for your name. Let us bring your love wherever we go, God. And Father, if we, if we are lacking in that area, won't you give us your heart for those who are far from you, God? Won't you give us a desire to see more people come to salvation, Lord God, for those who are far from you to be drawn near. Lord, we trust you and we know that it is all up to you because you alone are good and gracious and loving, God. And we want to be more like you, Jesus, each and every day so that we can do what you did. Amen.